0: Alex Sims is with us. She is Associate Professor in the Department of Commercial Law at the University of Auckland Business School. She's an expert on blockchain technology, copyright law and consumer law. And we've talked to her previously about one component utilising blockchain, of course, which is cryptocurrencies. They're a minefield and very confusing. Some people swear they will be the way of the future and the entire financial uh, system will change and will, um, you know, be revolutionised by them, but we also read about very high-profile boom-bust events. Uh, We're staying close to home, though, this morning. Alex, you have been reading a Finance and Expenditure select uh, Select Committee report that came out just before Parliament rose. Can you tell us what they were looking into, please? Morning.
1: Oh, morning, um, Catherine. So actually, just I was one of the um, co-authors of the independent advisors report to the Select Committee. So I know it quite well. <laughs> um, so what what it was looking at initially, it was quite narrow. So the terms of reference for the inquiry were just to look at cryptocurrencies, you know, to understand how they're created and traded, identify risks. Um, to users and traders, um, to risks in monetary system and financial stability, um, how cryptocurrencies are used by criminal organisations and establish whether um, basically it should be regulated in New Zealand or not. But if anyone reads the report from the Select Committee and our um, advisors' report, it is a lot broader than that.
0: Give us the overview.
1: OK, well, the overview is is that it's not just cryptocurrency. So there's blockchain and there's also digital assets. And so cryptocurrencies are just one form of digital asset and something we might talk later is NFTs. They're another form. And it's not sort of as simple as saying, well, it's just these decentralized Bitcoin type of things. Most central banks around the world are trying to develop their own version. So a central bank digital currency, CBDC. But it became apparent during the um, inquiry So when people were making submissions, written submissions and oral submissions, that things were a lot wider. It wasn't just criminals using all this. And yes, there are risks, but also there are risks in not doing anything as well. Can you be patient with me
0: and can we work through in real layperson's terms what we're talking about here? Because some people are off and running and have got their heads right round it and for others this is all confusion. Blockchain is essentially the architecture. We've talked about this in other contexts. It's got amazing possibilities for uh, increasing productivity. You might be able to send a good on its way from New Zealand. You might be able to bypass customs because the blockchain um, technology enables such immediate information transfer and visibility for everybody. Just, you know, in your definition of
1: blockchain, how far off am I How my simplistic understanding? <laughs> no, that's fine. Well, it is complicated, and part of the complication is... There's a range of different blockchains. And so what you are describing there is what we would call a permissioned blockchain. So it's it's got very tight guardrails on it. It's used for a specific purpose. Whereas most people think of blockchain as something being more like Bitcoin, where anyone can hop on and see things. So it really does depend. I mean, they are essentially a form of database, and there's lots of different types okay. of database.
0: So that's the, that's the technology. But the transparency, the being able to be viewed by all participants, is that key to Most of them or all of them? It depends, again, sorry. Understood. So the next question, um, the the, um, cryptocurrencies are specifically the likes of the Bitcoin and so forth that can soar in value, can bust in value, depending as per usual on market sentiment, but they are a way of paying for something that is not fiat money or, uh, or,
1: or our traditional transactions. Is that broadly right? Again, it depends. So part of that is right, but also there are a range of cryptocurrencies that are designed not to fluctuate in price. And so they're called stable coins. So they are designed to be stable, but even within that category, there are very different ones. And some are actually backed by assets, by collateral. And in fact, they're over-collateralized. And it was actually, in my opinion, those stable coins that are collateralized, they are backed. That's one of the reasons why central banks are looking to develop their own because they are very attractive for people to use in finance and trade.
0: So that brings me to digital currencies. The same thing or not the same thing because this is what central banks are looking at doing and this isn't about digital transactions. It is its own currency. It will have its own name and it might be the equivalent of one New Zealand dollar or not. Could you explain more?
1: Yes so again with the digital the CBDCs digital um, currencies they may be on blockchain they may not it just depends but also they are fundamentally different to what we currently have so we actually do use effectively digital currency so all the money that's in our bank accounts that is digital
0: but it's New Zealand dollar or US dollar etc and would a new digital currency introduced by central banks perhaps have a different name. It might be a New Zealand digital dollar, for example. Yes. Okay. Final point. The NFTs, the non-fungible tokens, this is where you think about the likes of Dan Carter and others. Is this where you don't buy the physical asset? You buy the rights to a painting or this or that. Uh, I've never quite understood how the value in this works, but essentially you own it even though others... I suppose same in an art gallery, right? Others can see it.
1: Uh, I hate to say this again, but it depends. No problem. There is a whole yes, sorry. There is a whole range. And so it might be that you are buying, say, one of one artwork and so you buy that. But it also might be that there is equivalent of a print edition. There might be 50 of the same ones. So if you just think of the real world, you've got an artist that sells 50 prints. They've got that as well. The, um, there's a report that we might talk about that has just come out um, recently saying that the price of NFTs has crashed. But if you read that report, it talks about what we call collection NFTs. And so some people may have heard of like Bored Apes or CryptoPunks, and that's what we call a collection. So that's not an artist. That is somebody who has put out, might be 5,000 NFTs. They all look slightly different. They may have different hair and colour backgrounds and things like that, and... Those ones, yes, they certainly have uh, lost an awful lot of money. But this is predictable. So, I mean, I can send stuff through. I've said, you know, in writing online, you can find it, that the prices will crash. Right? I mean, that's just obvious but this happens in anybody. new markets full stop. You know,
0: it was like when we had the 90s... Um Uh, dot-com crash. New markets are volatile. Uh, People get very excited. They don't often have a lot of participants necessarily in the early days. Uh, And and that human behaviour that saw us buying tulips madly in the 17th century or whatever um, can be at play. So we should expect these new-ish to many of us markets... um, to so have some volatility again you'll say it depends because you can build stability with your stable coin they might be the bonds say of this particular market but we shouldn't be surprised by volatility alex
1: no yeah you just said it perfectly this happens all the time but and what i've what i've been saying in the past and i'll still say it now is that if people want to buy an nft then do it be- because you like it, like the artwork, or you want to support the or the artist, don't buy it for speculation. And in fact, I, I, I don't often sort of contact um the media directly but i did hear i won't mention the name on a radio station and they were interviewing someone a a while ago who had bought one of these collection nfts and it had gone up in price and she said it's 10x and they were talking about intergenerational wealth and things things and i sent a thing saying please take this down this is dangerous because it's just fueling so the this the sort of the bubble and, you know, some broadcasters really need to look at themselves very carefully. It wasn't me, was it? No, no, it wasn't <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you for the patience in talking us through that. Now let's come back to the report and you choose what you believe are some of the important uh, components of it. Again, the, um, you, you were an advisor to, um, to the inquiry, um, but come back and, and inform us on what some of the standouts were and what you made of where the politicians got to.
1: Well, I'll just start with where the politicians got to, um, and then I'll go into some of the recommendations. Um, well, it was quite really, really interesting, and people can go online and see this. So at the beginning, there was a lot of sort of fear and scepticism. You know, only criminals want to use this, and it's, the use of blockchain is going to destroy the environment. But then as the MPs did more reading, the, the submissions came in, it was like, oh... Oh, actually, it's a lot more nuanced and it really does depend. And all, oh, Australia's doing this, the UK's doing this, uh, um, the United States is another country. So it, was no, it sort of changed the reference. And so it was really, really, really useful to have this inquiry. It was late, okay, because everywhere else has had these inquiries a long time ago, but it's better than nothing. So, and also it's a good, um, another quick thing is this is the value of people actually going to select committees. Okay, Select committees, they want information, they want people to tell them what is actually going on. So we've got an amazing system in New Zealand that you might be Joe Blogs and you get 10 minutes in front of the select committee versus a big organisation that gets the same length of time. Do you know what, speak my language, we so under M- mis-
0: um... Don't understand, and and we so underestimate, this is the powerhouse of legislative making, and I'll tell you why. Bad law either gets fixed or made based on what goes through these committees and how it is amended along the way. It's a little simplistic because it also comes down to numbers. But this
1: is where the details of legislation get sorted out or not. Yes, I agree. I mean, I teach this stuff. And also another quick thing from practical experience is you've got a lot of not-for-profit groups that do a lot of work, but they're not very well funded at all. And so they try to pick... If you've got a bill, what are they going to set, write down? So they've got limited resources. And the temptation is just to put down the, the bits. If you disagree with something and explaining why, and then the stuff that you agree with, people don't write because they think, well, like we agree with it. But what you have to do, and people don't know this, is you must say why you agree with something. Um, because I've seen this. This is with consumer law, one of my areas. There was something very – it was a bill, I can't remember what it was – but. Only, there was some very, very good stuff in it. No one said, everyone that was in support of those good but didn't say anything because it was obvious they were good. There were two submissions against it. And so the select committee went, oh, oh, well, people are objecting to this. And then they made changes to the detriment of, you know, um, consumers. So that's why, you know, just a quick thing. We agree with this part. I mean, very simple, but... You've got to be really strategic in your submissions. All right. And I know there are various interests
0: as well. I'm sure there was a lot of uh, debate about the report and and, um, we can go into that if you want. But can we get perhaps first to the recommendations that were made? Uh,
1: Just pick the key ones. Okay. So very quickly, recommendation one is that the government adopt policy settings to encourage development in digital assets and blockchain. Because what we've had is very much a hands-off. You know, if it happens, it happens. But we are in a and a, a race with the rest of the world type of... Um, so, you know, it, it, people are going overseas because it's easier, things are clearer, and pe- businesses want stability. These are not fly-by-night con artists, and so business wants more stability, more predictability. So, you know, more uh, make that clearer. Um, it's recommendation two is this is early. And so if you're trying to now to design and implement it a fully integrated and consistent regulatory framework, it's even if you could do that, it'll be out of date before the you know the ink is on the paper. So you know bits and pieces do that. Just make it clear the IRD has done a lot of good work in this area. So um, for that to continue, and of course, I mean I bang on about this all the time. But the bad actors, <laughs> no matter what law you have, they won't follow it. So you're better off focusing on those bad actors and making things easier for your legitimate companies to operate. Uh, recommendation seven. This is a big one. This is to create a formal sandbox. So... A sandbox is not like what kids play in, but it's where people or organisations can test things out without fear of falling foul of regulation. Now, there's lots and lots of different types of sandboxes around the world, but we want one that's live because it, it won't work properly if it's not live. And it also, it's really important that the regulators work alongside the people using that sandbox so they learn. Because one of the issues that we've got in New Zealand is the regulators... For obvious reasons, aren't, most of them are not up with the technology, new ways of doing things, and they've got to upskill very, very quickly. This has been said for many, many years, but this is a good opportunity uh, for them to do it. And my final key recommendation, because there are 22, I guess, is that training is required for like, accountants and lawyers, um, people in government departments who are having to deal with these things. And also, you know, like um, the judges as well. So we need that upskilling of people.
0: Right, those are the standouts then. And the next question, of course, whatever happens to these uh, reports? This is different. I was talking earlier about um, legislation passing through its legislative process, and that's where the select committees really come into play. They also do
1: inquiries and reports, and unfortunately they can end up gathering dust somewhere, Alex. (laughs) Well, fingers crossed um, there 's small things that we 've suggested, and so they can be, a lot of this can be actioned immediately
0: yeah. and also people can read up and just get more informed because that 's information. those reports are always found on the excellent Um, Parliament website where you can find out what all those MPs have actually been up to. Now, AI, uh, discuss, I was going to say. (laughs) We're doing a bit of that. What do you want to focus on today?
1: Uh, Well, just very quickly because we could talk forever because you know what I've said through. Um, So I just, very quickly, I just want to clarify some of the myths that are, that are going around. And I go to a lot of different forums, speak with a lot of people, and it's often so the experts who are saying this and perpetuating myths. And so no wonder a lot of people are confused. So one of the classic ones is that, oh, be careful of all this, because AI has biases, okay? Oh, you must have heard that. Um, and so that means, oh, as humans, we're better. But the problem is, is that... There are biases, aren't they? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And the, and at least with AI, with algorithm, when you identify a bias, you can go in and put in more training, thing, change the algorithm. Whereas, unlike a person, it's very hard to you know deprogram a person. I think
0: the fair point is, as is often the case. Again, in early days, the biases are coming sometimes from a quite narrow selection of people. (laughs) Um, And that is what the worry is, that depending on who is introducing, programming, everything else, their biases are what are built in. Now, we fought long and hard and continue to fight for diversity in any number of um, situations, institutions, right? And the worry is
1: that will replicate those failures here. Well, that's why we have to do deliberate design, but also the great thing about it is that it's not like, oh, we'll wait to see if there's any biases come up through decision-making. You can run, you can do simulations, a million of them, and then see very, very quickly. So I personally think that this can really help remove, not maybe not all of them, but remove a lot more biases in well, humans. That comes down to the will of the operator as well.
0: And we have the same issue with YouTube, with um, Facebook, with any others whose algorithms can sometimes incidentally be responsible for the potential for harm or the spreading of misinformation or the spreading of hate, but it comes down to the will of the person who can make those changes to do those changes. And when there's a lot of money in not doing those changes, you know, uh, that's where we are left with a conundrum. To your point, that's not AI's
1: fault. Yes, it comes down to humans. It always comes down to humans. Okay, so that's one myth. What's another? Okay, quick one. Um, again, AI hallucinations. So people laugh, you know, it's made up all these, you know, these things. I mean, it happens all the time. But people lie. So, you know, people can be very creative in their CVs. So, again, it's, it's just no different from, from people. Another quick one is that I often hear, oh, well, this AI, it's, it's not creative. Okay, Not as creative as humans. But... We like to think we're creative, and we are, but we are building on knowledge that we already have. And even highly creative people like Einstein and Picasso were jamming together different influences. So it was still based on existing knowledge, whereas AI doesn't know that. It doesn't know anything, and it does and can come up with far more creative things than humans. But what it needs is someone, a human, then to go, okay, you've got these 20 different options, we'll go for that one. And they have done tests as well. There's a couple of um, recent studies, and... Sorry to burst everyone's bubble, but um chat GPT scores were better than ninety-nine percent of the human population and how many ideas it can produce and the originality of those ideas. And then also of course, and this is the worry, is that AI is forty times more efficient than humans in how quickly it can produce ideas. <sighs>
0: We'll Make Good Pets was a song. It's a bit rude, actually, that song. But it's
1: <laughs> can, I, can I just say something, though? Mm. Is that we, we, what we shouldn't be doing, and I say this all the time, is we shouldn't be trying to beat AI at its own game. Mm. So we need to do something that's innately human. And... I mean, a bit of a plug, um, I've gone on the rabbit hole for, for a musician. And unfortunately, I'm one of those sad people whose musical tastes sort of ossified in the early 90s. So I don't like modern music. I think that's music. when We Would Make Good pets came out. Yes, OK. <laughs> anyway, there's this guy called Ren, R-E-N. And if people look at his, his videos, they are the most amazing one take. And he's singing on an acoustic guitar. And it's human. So that's what we need to do. All these things that could be done by AI, they effectively are almost worthless now. Okay. I'm going to ask
0: you to quickly do your final topic because I'm fascinated by two uh, gadgets, two twists on old products, and I love the idea of both of them. We're humans. We love fire, but we're trying to cut emissions. So who's coming up with some surprising
1: alternatives for us? Okay. So the first one is an electric pizza oven. And so it just uses electricity, as name suggests, and it gets to very, very high temperatures. In fact, it can just nuke your um, pizza if you're not careful. Um, But but it's expensive, okay? So it's well over $1,000. So unless you're making pizzas a lot of the time, it would just be one of those other worthless gadgets. But what's interesting is it does work. You know, sometimes you see these things, read the reviews, and they say it's hopeless. And it never looks the
0: same when you get it. This this one works. And I love the idea of the next one. It makes me want to weep if it's a.
1: Okay, so this is an electric fire pit. Now, unlike the previous one, which is all electricity, this is partial. So you still need a little bit of wood kindling, but you get like a lot of bang for your buck. Um, It uses fans, so it just works. And I don't know how it does it. I haven't got one myself. Um, But apparently, when the fans are whirring, it actually reduces all the smoke. So you get the you're a know, roaring fire in front of you without all the smoke. But again, I mean, there are downsides because it, you can, apparently you can hear the fans. So.
0: <laughs> it's not the crinkling and crackling of wood, is it? We're working on it. We'll set AI on it. It'll fix it. Thank you, Alex. Much appreciated. Alex Sims, Associate Professor in the Department of Commercial Law at the University of Auckland Business School, uh, an expert, as we said, on blockchain technology, copyright law and consumer law.